welcome to Mission Church Las Vegas podcast. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and hope that you will consider joining us in person next Sunday in the northwest part of Las Vegas. You can find out more about Mission at our website, missionlasvegas.com. Uh, this, our reading this morning is Psalm 23. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. Are you doing well? Look good? Welcome to Mission Church. Our mission and vision here is to partner with God to see his kingdom come here in Las Vegas as it is in heaven, as we love Jesus, live like Jesus, and lead others to Jesus. My name is John. I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm excited and honored to be with you this morning. Right up front, if you haven't already noticed, I just want to ask for your uh, just your forgiveness, as my throat is not doing so well this morning, and uh, the wind is not helping. And so, please bear with me as we work through today. And I thank you for your grace. Um, but I am honored and excited to be with you this morning. Um, I've been looking forward to today, especially as we continue in our sermon series in the Book of Psalms. In this series, we've titled an Exile's Prayer Book. And the Psalms is exactly what that title explains. They were a prayer book to the people of Israel during their time in exile. And as we too are living in exile, the book of Psalms serve us in the same way as a, as a prayer book. If you haven't already, please open up your Bible to Psalm 23. You may have noticed if you were here in the last few weeks that Psalm 23 happened to be missed. We were in Psalm 24 last week, and just due to scheduling and different things, that's just the way it worked out, but we're coming back to Psalm 23. And Psalm 23, just like the Psalms before it, give us words to pray. In fact, the Psalms have been teaching God's people the language of prayer for over 2,500 years, giving us the language of lament, the language of confession and repentance, the language of, of praise. You see, Psalms give us words to pray, and Psalm 23 provides for us the words to pray as we travel through life's darkest valleys. Those moments when you feel overwhelmed, overtaken, overwhelmed by loud and anxious and a worried soul. Those moments in life when rest eludes you and all you can do is cry out, God, where are you? Friend, if you came to church this morning needing stability, strength, if you came in here limping, searching for rest, if you're lost and looking for a Savior, tell me, where do you go with that? Where do you run? Who, to whom do you look in time of need? When you are in the valley of deep darkness, who do you trust? Now, before we answer these questions from our text, and before we dive into our text, let's take a moment to pray together, and then we'll dive right in. God, we are so thankful for Your grace and Your mercy. We're thankful for Your Word. I pray, Lord, as we sit under the counsel of Your Word, that you would soften our hearts to a greater understanding of who you are, greater understanding of the gospel, a greater understanding of who we are in light of your holiness and our need for Jesus. May the cross be big in our lives this morning. 
I pray, Lord, for those who came in here in need of a Savior, who are, who are in darkness, Lord, would you convict and lead them to repentance and faith. For those who are in here and that are in Christ, Lord, but are in need of rest, I pray, Lord, that you would comfort, lead us beside still waters and to lie down in green pastures today as we read from this very famous psalm. I pray, Lord, that you would be with me this morning. Help me to speak clearly. Pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. We love you, Lord, and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 23 may be one of the most beloved and iconic chapters in all of the Bible. This psalm is often read beside hospital beds, preached at funerals, consulted in counseling sessions, The beautiful and poetic words of Psalm 23 has comforted and encouraged many during the worst times in their life. Psalm 23 is without a doubt some of the most beautiful lyrics ever written. They've been appreciated, cherished, admired by many for for generations, young and old, generation after generation. However, this morning I propose to you that despite the popularity of this psalm and despite Coolio's attempt to sing it in 1995, Psalm 23 is not a song that everyone can sing. And now, I, I learned this morning that some of you weren't necessarily alive in 1995, or for Wes, you were three. I found that out this morning. Um, but you can look it up. Gangster's Paradise, okay? Psalm 23 is not a song that everyone can sing. Psalm 23 is the exclusive declaration of the one who has a personal relationship with God. David proclaims in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Are you able to join David this morning and proclaim the Lord is my shepherd? I shall not want. Now it's imperative when considering Psalm 23 that we recognize that it does not exist in isolation. We cannot remove it from what it's called its canonical context. And what I mean by that is we cannot remove it and not consider Psalm 23 without first considering Psalm 22. For us to properly understand Jesus as our shepherd, we first have to consider what He accomplished on the cross. Consider what the great preacher Charles Spurgeon said regarding this. He said the position of this psalm is worthy of of notice. It follows the 22nd, which is peculiarly the psalm of the cross. There are no green pastures, no still waters on the other side of the 22nd Psalm. It's only after we have read, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, that we come to the Lord is my shepherd. We must by experience know the value of bloodshedding and see the sword awaken against the shepherd before we we shall be able truly to know the sweetness of the good shepherd's care. Church, Psalm 23 cannot be understood properly apart from Psalm 22. And and if you missed our discussion on Psalm 22, it's online on our website. You can go back and listen and refer to it as needed. But Psalm 22 is just like we read, is a Psalm of the Cross in which David wrote prophetically a thousand years before Jesus was born. David, with the eyes of faith and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote that Jesus would be surrounded by His enemies, that they would cast lots for his clothing, that he would be brutally beaten, that he would have nails driven into his hands 
and his feet and hung on a cross where he would thirst and where he would be stabbed in his side, that he would ultimately be gruesomely crucified. And it's only in light of that gruesomeness in Psalm 22 that Psalm 23 is the blessing and comfort that it is. You cannot fully proclaim the Lord is my shepherd without understanding who the shepherd is and what he's accomplished for you. In other words, Psalm 23 is not proclaiming that a Christian life is a life free of opposition. It's not a life free of pain. Friends, there's nothing further from the truth to proclaim that the Christian life is an easy life, a life in which God gives you what you need. You shall not be in want. This has been miscued and mistreated. But it's only after we have read, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? It's only after we recognize and receive Jesus as our suffering Savior that we can find rest in Him as our Good Shepherd. If you have not trusted in Him and received Him as your suffering Savior, you cannot rest in Him as your Shepherd. Not everyone can sing this psalm. Now, to best understand our text, let's consider the trustworthiness as God is our shepherd, as seen in Psalm 23 through three scenes. Scene one, the good shepherd. Scene two, the dark valley. And scene three, the gracious host. Scene one, the good shepherd. Look at verse one, Psalm 23. You with me? You guys doing okay? Yeah? All right. The Lord is my shepherd. To be a shepherd in ancient Israel was to do the lowliest of work available. A shepherd would actually live with his sheep 24 hours a day with unwavering devotion. Day and night, summer, winter, rain or shine, you lived with the dirty, stinky, smelly sheep. The shepherd would assume full responsibility for the care and the provision of his sheep, their safety. He nurtured them, he guided them, he protected them, even to the point of risking his own life. No one in their right mind would want to be a shepherd. This was not a career choice that was um, chosen. It was more uh, inherited. If, you, if your family had sheep, the youngest son would be the one to care for him because the older brothers didn't want anything to do with it. This was lowly work. Yet, God loves us so much that He has chosen to be our shepherd. Now, it's imperative that we read 20, Psalm 23 in light of who Jesus is you see, Jesus appropriated David's psalm, David's shepherd metaphor, in order to describe himself. I'm reminded of texts such as John chapter 10, verse 11, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Hebrews 13.20 says that Jesus is the great shepherd. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4 says that Jesus is the chief shepherd. But friend, the question proposed to you this morning is, is Jesus your shepherd? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Can you join Spurgeon in saying, if he be a shepherd to no one else, he is a shepherd to me. He cares for me. He watches over me. He preserves me. Can you say that? Now the question is begging to be asked, how do I know? How can I determine if the Lord is my shepherd? How do I know if Jesus is my shepherd? Well, there's two tests, two diagnostic questions given to us by Jesus in John chapter 10 that we can ask ourselves. Jesus says in John chapter 10 that my sheep 
hear my voice. So question number one is, do you listen to His Word? Is your life centered on the Scriptures? Do you hunger and thirst for God's Word? Do you value God's Word? Jesus also said in John chapter 10 that my sheep follow me. So question number two is, do you do what He says? In other words, are you applying God's Word to your life? Here's the thing. There are a, a ton of people who have taken false comfort in Psalm 23. They want to believe that God is their shepherd, but they neither listen to Jesus nor follow Him. Friends, Jesus is the great shepherd of God's people. And if you do not belong to Jesus, well then God is not your shepherd. And if you're sitting under the sound of my voice and by considering these diagnostic questions, if you cannot say that Jesus is your shepherd, the most important reality for you this morning is to turn from your sin, to run to the cross of Christ, to trust in Jesus for salvation from the holy wrath of God. If you do, you will discover more and more each day that the Lord is worthy of your trust, for He is the great shepherd and He does provide for His sheep. Look back at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. If the Lord is our shepherd, then that makes us sheep. And sheep left to themselves, they lack everything. They're helpless and defenseless. They can't even take care of themselves. I was scrolling through some social media and there was a video of a sheep that got lost and he was so full of, of uh, wool that he couldn't move. He was debilitated. He needed someone to shear him so that he can live and survive and, and left to himself, he would have he died. You see, we can't even care for ourselves and this is what this is referring to. However, under the shepherd's care, all the sheep's needs are met. And so it is for all who have trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Christian, you are under the watchful care of Him who is all-sufficient, inexhaustible, and unchanging. And verse 1 here is pro proclaiming, emphatically proclaiming that if you are one of God's sheep, you are precious to Him. And you will not be in want. Brothers and sisters, there's nothing in this life, there's nothing that the world can offer you that will ultimately satisfy you the way God can. And for those of you who have trusted in Jesus, you can live with the confidence that God, the Creator of the universe, is watching over you, providing for you, protecting you. Look back at verse 2. He lets me lie down in green pastures. Now, sheep are not able to find their own source of food. They're completely dependent upon their shepherd for care to find them pastures to graze in. And the pastures, they must be green pastures because sheep left to themselves, they'll graze and eat anything that's available. They'll satisfy their hunger in the inappropriate or wrong places, ultimately causing them to be sick. So the faithful shepherd ensures that his sheep have the greenest and the best grass to graze in. And once he leads them to green pastures, what does he do? He lets them rest. The good shepherd makes his sheep lie down, it says. The shepherd knows what's best for his sheep. This is so antithetical to the world we live in, to rest. We live in a culture and a time in which we worship the cult of busyness. To rest is seen as weakness or to rest is seen as wrong. But yet, the Lord is saying, 
rest. I know what's best for you. He knows what awaits His sheep on the road ahead. He knows that tired and hungry sheep will not make the journey. They will not finish the race. They will not finish the marathon. And so He makes them lie down in green pastures. And for sheep to feel safe, for sheep to find enough, um, I guess, to feel content enough, to feel safe enough to lie down is a big deal. Sheep just don't lay down. There are stipulations. In fact, I read a, a portion of a book by a, an author named Philip Keller who was a shepherd, and he wrote in light of his shepherding knowledge uh, a discourse on Psalm 23. And he says, um, after eight years of shepherding, he has some insight into the behavior of sheep. And when sheep lie down, he says, it's because they are safe and satisfied. Sheep are timid, and it's almost impossible for sheep to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. First, they must be free of fear. And because of their social behavior within the flock, sheep aren't going to lie down unless they're free from friction with other sheep. If tormented by flies or parasites, sheep aren't going to lie down. And when free of these, only free of these pests can they relax. Lastly, sheep will not lie down if they're hungry. And so lying down in green pasture speaks of the satisfaction and the peace that only God can provide. The green pastures He provides to you and I, believer, are His Scriptures, His Word. Brothers and sisters, God's Word is always fresh. It's always green. It's always rich. It's never exhausted. When by faith we are enabled to find rest in the promises of God, we are like sheep that lie down in the midst of a pasture. We too can find peace, rest, refreshment, satisfaction. Now, not only does the Lord let me lie down in green pastures, look back at verse 2, He leads me besides quiet waters. Just as the pastures must be green, the waters must be calm. If the thirsty sheep were to wade into running waters, their coats would be filled with water. They could lose their balance, fall into the water, be swept away by the current, and drown. So the good shepherd finds rocks, and he walks into the rushing water, and he builds a dam and creates a calm pool so that his sheep can have calm water to drink in safely. But this leading to quiet waters was not limited to finding a good place and quiet, calm place to find a drink. It was in these calm, quiet, and still waters that the sheep would find cleansing. They can wade into these calm waters and their wounds and their sores be cleansed. Their soiled spots be washed. And throughout the Old Testament, the Scriptures use this image of rushing water to, dis, to depict distress. But calm water is used to depict the washing and the renewing of the soul. And so as we read this verse in Psalm 23, the point here is that God cleanses His people from their sins and provides for us spiritual refreshment and renewal from the chaos of a life lived in a broken and sinful world. And so He is inviting you not only to lie down and find rest, but to wade into the calm waters of His grace and His mercy. You see, the green pastures and the still waters are a picture for how God cares for us. God, our Good Shepherd, provides for our physical needs. I'm reminded of what He taught us to pray. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, in the Lord's Prayer, He says, give us this day our daily bread. He knows our needs. 
And He has committed Himself to provide. And even more, He is the only one who can satisfy our souls and meet our deepest need. Jesus also says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me will not hunger. And whoever believes in Me will not thirst. Our shepherd also said in Matthew chapter 11, which we read in the beginning of our service this morning, Come to Me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Church, you are being invited by the Savior to find rest in the green pastures of God's Word. You are being invited to wade into the quiet waters of God's grace and His mercy and to drink your fill. David doesn't stop there. He continues this picture of abundant life. Look at verse 3. He renews my life. He renews my life. Now so far, David has described how good of a shepherd God is. The shepherd fully satisfies every need for nourishment and refreshment, yet there are times when sheep will go astray. Sheep are still sheep. So there are times when sheep, well, they look for nourishment in wastelands. There are times when sheep look for nourishment and to satisfy themselves in polluted wells. Isaiah 53.6 says that we all went astray like sheep. We have all turned in our own turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished Him for the iniquity of us all. Speaking of Christ. You see, friends, we are all like sheep who have gone astray. We have looked for satisfaction in polluted wells. We have gone to wasteland to fill our desires and our needs when truly the only one who can is Christ. We have intentionally turned from God. We have rejected Him. But the good news is that our Shepherd has not forsaken us. He has promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Forsake literally meaning, I will never walk out on you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to walk out on you. He renews our souls. This word renew could also be translated as restore. Repent. It's the idea of turning, returning something back to its original state. In other words, David is saying here that the Lord is restoring him back to his proper spiritual and physical condition by forgiving, renewing, and restoring him. David was referring to the restorative ritual and the sacrifice in the temple while also pointing us to Jesus pointing us to the ultimate sacrifice of His future Son, Jesus, the great Shepherd who laid down His life for His sheep. I'm reminded of the story Jesus told about a lost sheep in Luke 15 who needed to be restored. He needed to be renewed. Jesus says, what man among you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it. When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who, do not, who don't need repentance. Tell me, has the Good Shepherd found you? Has the Good Shepherd found Friend, if in your heart you know that you have wandered away, you're not alone. Someone is looking for you. And when Jesus finds His sheep, He renews them. 
He restores them. Look back at verse 3. And He leads me along the right path for His name's sake. Since water and grass can be hard to find in the land of Israel, shepherds had to be ready to move their flocks. They had to be ready to lead them on long migrations from one pasture to another. The sheep would not understand why they left what seemed like a good place. We have it going on here. And now we're, we're leaving and we're climbing up mountains and walking through valleys and wandering through wildernesses. If sheep could talk, they might say, yo, where are we going? The ground is rough. There's no water here. I'm tired. Are we there yet? What in the world is going on, bro? But still, the shepherd leads on. The shepherd doesn't. The, the, the sheep don't know where they're going, but the shepherd does. And he has good pastures in mind. He's leading his sheep to green grass and quiet, still waters. And along the way, there's not a single step of the journey that is wasted. Although it may be hard, although it may not make sense, although it may hurt, although there may be pain, not a single step in the wasteland is wasted. And so it is with our lives. We can look back and say, God, why have you taken me from here? Why couldn't we have stayed where we were? Why are you leading me through this difficult time in life? Why are you taking me through this? And still our shepherd leads on. He knows where he's going. And brothers and sisters, you can trust him. He is a good shepherd. David was confident that God would not lead him down wrong paths. He would not make the wrong turn. David knew that God wasn't going to lead him in the wrong way. He was confident of this because God put His name on the line. He leads me the path of righteousness for His name's sake. God saying, my name is on the line. Ancient shepherds would raise their sheep for wool and they would lead them to the marketplace to sell their coats. But the shepherd would choose the path carefully. If he showed up to the marketplace with injured sheep, it would hurt his profits. He wouldn't make any money. And so he would lead his sheep on straight paths to the marketplace. The shepherd would build a reputation for having good sheep and good coats. And at some point, the merchants would no longer take time to examine the sheep. They would just accept the reputation of the shepherd for his namesake. This is how the Lord leads us. In paths of righteousness for his namesake. His reputation is at stake. His word is on the line. And even though we may not understand the path that we are on, we can trust our shepherd to lead us. And now on the other side of the cross, we can see that this verse speaks of sanctification, which is the process in which a Christian being empowered by the Holy Spirit is renewed after the image of God, enabled more and more to sin less, to love Christ more, to live like Jesus, to lead others to Jesus. Some Christians overlook the blessing of sanctification and yet to a thoroughly renewed heart, becoming more like Christ is the sweetest gift God could give us. You see, if we could be saved from wrath, yet remain unregenerate and unrepentant, then we are not truly saved. For the chief desire of the one who has been saved by Jesus is to glorify God, to sin less, and to be led in a way of holiness, to be more and more like our Savior. Not to earn His love, but out of an understanding of the love that He's given to us. 
freely. The path that Jesus chooses for you is right in every sense. And the road He leads you on is best. And it's the most direct route from here to your heavenly home. But sometimes the path does go through the darkest valleys in life. It does take us through some difficult situations and circumstance, which leads us to scene two, the dark valley. Here in verse 4, the scene shifts from green pastures and still and calm water to a dark valley. But notice that David's confidence in God as his shepherd does not change with his surroundings. His circumstances are not determining his faith and his trust in God. Look at verse 4. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Have you ever seen the show The Walking Dead? No. It's kind of an older show. Some have. Uh, If not, the premise of the show is that there's a group of people trying to survive a zombie apocalypse. And when the first when the show first came out, a friend suggested to me that I watch it, but understand I am not a fan of gore. I'm not a fan of anything scary. I'm not. I don't like it. But I trusted this friend and his suggestion, and so I went ahead and I gave it a try. It was late at night, and my wife, Stacy, went off the bed, and as she did, she turned off the light, she went upstairs, and it was dark. And there I was, late at night, in the dark, by myself, watching this show about zombies. It was horrible. It was, it was a horrible the show ended. And not thinking, uh, I turned off the TV and realizing the light switches across the room, I jumped over the couch and I jumped over the coffee table, ran as fast as I could to the light switch because I was terrified. I ran as fast as I could. My wife laughing upstairs because she could hear the. I come upstairs, she goes, Are you okay? Oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I was terrified. I ran fast through the darkness as though something was going to jump out at me. In verse 4, David says, even when I go, now this word go is translated from the Hebrew word halek, which means to walk, not to run, to walk. In other words, even though I'm in the darkest valley and danger is all around me, I am not running through it in fear. I'm walking through it because I'm confident because I am not alone. You see, To walk through the darkest valley indicates the steady advance of a soul which knows the road, knows its end, is resolved to stay on the right path, feels safe, and and therefore, unlike me watching The Walking Dead, they are perfectly calm and composed. They fear no danger. For the Lord walks with those who trust in Him. But notice, their trust did not prevent them from going through life's valleys. Even though they trusted, they still ended up in a dark valley. After his son died of a rare aging disease, Harold Kushner wrote the 1981 bestseller When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Unfortunately, Kushner failed to answer this important question. In fact, the question itself is a bit misleading. You see, the question itself implies that there are good people. And these good people, whoever they are, they should be exempt from experiencing bad things as though their goodness is some sort of a force field that prevents bad things from happening. But friends, that's just not true, is it? Consider with me Job chapter 5, verse 7, which says, but humans are born for trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. 
We also read in Job 14.1, anyone born of a woman is short of days and full of trouble. Church, bad things are not reserved for those who we define as bad people. According to Scripture, we are all bad people. For we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Take note, God only had one good child who lived in this world without sin, and His name is Jesus. But God has had no children who lived in this world without suffering, including Jesus. All of His children go through the dark valleys. Jesus did as well. You see, going through a dark valley is not an indication that your shepherd has failed you or left you, or an indictment that he is not good. Remember verse 3, He leads me along the right path for His name's sake. But there are times when God's path of righteousness requires that He leads His sheep through dark valleys. Now this phrase, dark valley, speaks of any unideal circumstance, suffering, or difficulty that you may be going through. For example, sickness, autoimmune disease, chronic pain can be dark valleys. Broken relationships, a broken heart, divorce can be a dark valley. Unemployment, financial hardships, the death of a loved one, depression, anxiety can all be dark valleys and the list can go on and on. But the point is that we will all experience dark valleys in this life. But there are many, but there may be times of difficulty for all of us. If you haven't experienced it, then let's talk. I need to figure out what's going on. But according to what I read in Scripture, every one of us will experience dark valleys. But I have good news for you. Look at verse 4 again. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. Why? Why is he not fearing danger? Look at what he says next. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Church, whatever valley you might find yourself in today, or whatever valley you find yourself walking through tomorrow, if you are in Christ, know that you are not walking through the valley alone. The Lord is with you. Consider Psalm 16.8. I always let the Lord guide me because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. And Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. James Montgomery Boyce wisely commented, we are never so conscious of the presence of God as when we pass through life's valleys. I don't know about you, but there are moments in dark valleys in my own life. My emotions and my heart begin to lie to me and begin to tell me that God has left me begin to tell me that God has forsaken me, begin to tell me that I must have done something wrong. And it's in those moments that I'm thankful that God is greater than my heart. God is greater than my emotions. And I'm thankful for the gift of His Word and the gift of the church, which reminds me that God does not leave His children. But rather, it's in those moments of difficulty in life that He actually draws near to us. And because He is near, we're safe. Disease and destruction can do its worst. Friends, we don't need to fear evil because our shepherd is armed. It says he's not not walking through the valley empty-handed for he's holding a rod in one hand and a staff in the other. He defends us and walks with us down the roughest of roads and the darkest of valleys. 
And David says, I'm comforted. My heart is at ease. I know that everything's going to be okay. It's true. We need a shepherd to care for us because sometimes life, well, life can get as bad as death. And tell me, how can you be sure that everything's going to be okay in those moments? How can you be sure that death is not the end? Well, if you're a Christian, you have a shepherd who cares for you. He has given his life for you. And he has invited you to take a seat at his table, which leads us to our final scene. And we're almost done. The gracious host. All of a sudden here at verse 5, the scene shifts. We're moving from being a sheep in God's flock to being a guest in God's house. And the final verse of Psalm 23 testify to the Lord's genuine, genuine, generous, and continued hospitality. Verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. David pictures himself as a guest at an important table. He remembers a few things. There's a problem. Although I'm a guest at this important table, uh, some of my enemies are in the room. (laughs) So I have a decision to make. Am I going to run away from my enemies? Or am I going to enjoy the hospitality of my host despite the presence of my enemies? And as he thinks about what he's going to do, he remembers something. The binding custom of ancient hospitality which required the host at that time to take full responsibility for his guest. So literally, David's enemies were no longer his enemies, but rather they were the enemies of his host. So David was able to enjoy a meal in spite of the presence of his enemies. As long as he continued to rest and sit at the table in the presence of his host, he was not only going to enjoy a good meal, but his cup would overflow with blessing, goodness, mercy, compassion. And like David's hosts, Jesus welcomes you and I to sit with him at friends, as friends at his table for a meal in which God the Father is hosting. And just as God honored Jesus in the presence of his enemies, as we see in Psalm 22 and as we see in the Gospels, that God protected Jesus from those who mocked Him and taunted Him. In the same way, Jesus will also protect you and honor you publicly. David is promising us a close, intimate relationship with our shepherd. Instead of dumb sheep, Jesus calls us friends. And as His guest, He welcomes us into an eternal home with Him forever. Look at verse 6. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. The blessing of being in the house of the Lord is not the house itself. It's being with Jesus. The blessing of being in the house of the Lord is being with the Lord. Home is where your family is. Take your family away. Take the people away, and a house becomes a sad, empty place. The joy of heaven is not what heaven provides. It's not the mansions. It's not the streets of gold. Jesus is the joy of heaven. It will be home because He is there. Consider what Jesus says in John 14.3. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to Myself so that I, so that where I am, you may be also. Remember, although holy God Jesus 
is fully man. And God the Father cared for him and watched over him through the valley of death. Jesus has walked on the road that we are traveling. And Jesus is also our shepherd. He guards us. He protects us. He provides for us. And you have been invited to be His his honored guest for all eternity. If you have trusted in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, rest in His protection as your shepherd. Rest at His His. Rest at his table as his invited guest. I'm going to say that again. Rest in his protection as your shepherd and rest at his table as his invited guest. As a child of God, you are safe and you can be satisfied in Christ as your all-sufficient Savior. If you have not trusted in him as your Lord and Savior, why not today? Repent of your sin Turn from trusting in yourself for salvation and trust in Jesus who lived a perfect life of obedience to God. A life that you and I cannot. Who died so that you don't have to. He died instead of you. And He rose from the grave conquering sin, Satan, and death. Call on Him this morning. Repent and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. He'll provide for you. He'll protect you. And He'll invite you to the table for all eternity to be with Him. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your love that we do not deserve, yet You give it to us extravagantly. Your mercy, God, is is overwhelming. Rip one layer of mercy off, there's a whole other layer of mercy we read in Ephesians. And God, we're overwhelmed by that. Many of us, the may have just gone through a valley or we're in a valley now or we'll be in one tomorrow. It's in those moments that we need the truth of Your Word. We need the fellowship of Your church. And so God, help us to refine rest in those green pastures that You're leading us to and still water so that when those moments of valleys, walking through the valley comes, where we can continue in faith, knowing that it's for our good and for your glory as we pursue a life that loves you and lives like you and leads others to you. May we find rest in you today. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Mission Church Las Vegas podcast. Be sure to check out missionlasvegas.com to learn more about us and to find more sermons like this. We hope to see you next week. You are loved. You're equipped and you're sent. You are now entering your mission field.